namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timirandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshulumitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manobhistam Sapitam Janabhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sandubhyavacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. We are reading from Srimad Bhattam Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 12, Birth of Emperor Pradikshit, Text 4. Sutta Uvacha. Apipala Dharmaraja Pitra Pitrad Ranjanyan Prajaha Nispraha Sarvap Kamebhya Krishna Padanu Sevaya Suta Uvacha Apipala Dharmaraja Pitravadran Jayan Vapasha Nishpraha Sarvakamebhya Krishna Padanu Sevaya Suta, what do you want to say? Suta Uvacha Apipala Dharma Raja Pitrivadranjayan Praja Nishpraha Sarvakame Pya Krishna Padanu Sevaya Sutta Uvacha 
Sri Sutta Goswami said, Apipalat, administered prosperity, Dharma Raja, King Yudhisthir, Pitrivat, exactly like his father, Ranjayan, pleasing, Raja, all those who took birth, Nishpraha, without personal ambition, Sarva, all, Kamebhya, from sense gratification, Krishnapada, the lotus feet of Lord Sri Krishna, Anusevaya, by dint of rendering continuous service. <clears throat> Translation and purport by His Grace, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sri Sutta Goswami said, Emperor Yudhisthira administered generously to everyone during his reign. He was exactly like his father. He had no personal ambition and was freed from all sorts of sense gratification because of his continuous service unto the lotus feet of Lord Sri Krishna. Purport. As mentioned in our introduction, there is a need for the science of Krishna in human society for all the suffering humanity of the world. We simply request the leading personalities of all nations to take to the science of Krishna for their own good, for the good of society, and for the good of all the people of the world. So it is confirmed herein by the example of Maharaj Yudhisthira, the personality of goodness. In India, the people hanker after Ram, Ramaraj because the personality of Godhead was the ideal king and all other kings or emperors in India control the destiny of the world for the prosperity of every living being who took birth on the earth. Herein, the word praja is significant. The etymological import of the word is that which is born. On the earth, there are many species of life, from the aquatics up to the perfect human beings, and all are known as prajas. Lord Brahma, the creator of this particular universe, is known as the prajapati, because he is the grandfather of all who have taken birth. Thus, Braja is used in a broader sense than it is now used. The king represents all living beings, the aquatics, plants, trees, reptiles, birds, animals, and man. Every one of them is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, and the king, being representative of the Supreme Lord, is duty-bound to give proper protection to every one of them. This is not the case with the presidents and dictators of this demoralized system of administration, where the lower animals are given no protection while the higher animals are given so-called protection. But this is a great science which can be learned only by one who knows the science of Krishna. By knowing the science of Krishna, one can become the most perfect person in the world. And unless one has knowledge in this science, all qualifications and doctorate diplomas diplomas acquired by academic education are spoiled and useless. Maharaj Yudhisthira knew the science of Krishna very well, for it is stated here that by continuous cultivation of this science and by continuous devotional service to Krishna, he acquired the qualification of administering the state. The parent is sometimes seemingly cruel to the child, 
But that does not mean that the parent has lost the qualification to be a parent. A parent is always a parent because they always have the good of the child at heart. The parent wants every one of their children to become a better person than themselves. Therefore, a king like Maharaj Yudhisthira, who was the personality of goodness, wanted everyone under his administration, especially human beings who have better developed consciousness, to become devotees of Lord Krishna, so that everyone can become free from the trifles of material existence. His motto of administration was all good for the citizens, for as personified goodness, he knew perfectly well what is actually good for them. He conducted the administration on that principle and not on the Rakshasi demonic principle of sense gratification. As an ideal king, he had no personal ambition, and there was no place for sense gratification because all his senses at all times were engaged in the loving service of Supreme Lord, which includes the partial service to the living beings who form the parts and parcels of the complete whole. Those who are busy rendering service to the parts and parcels Leaving aside the whole, only spoil time and energy as one who does, as one does when watering the leaves of a tree without watering the root. If water is poured on the root, the leaves are enlivened perfectly and automatically. But if water is poured on the leaves only, the whole energy is spoiled. Maharaj Yudhisthira, therefore, was constantly engaged in the service of the Lord, and thus the parts and parcels of the Lord, the living beings under his careful administration, were perfectly attended with all comforts in this life and all progress in the next. That is the way of perfect management of state administration. So today is Gita Jayanti, the day that Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra more than 5,000 years ago. And today's verse and purport highlights many of the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. Srila Prabhupada states that the science of Krishna is essential for human society. So we have to look at what is the science of Krishna, and we can learn that by reading the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is the distilled essence of the science of Krishna, of all of the knowledge of the Vedas. Um, So we want to make sure that we honor the Bhagavad Gita, especially today, but every day, really. But we may think, The Bhagavad Gita was spoken 5,000 years ago. How can it apply today in modern society? You know, there's problems that we have now that weren't there 5,000 years ago. So how can it be applicable? So we have to read and understand the Bhagavad Gita to see how it applies to us today in today's society. In a lecture on February 21st, 1998, my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami, said, this is paraphrased, don't follow Bhagavad Gita in isolation to the rest of the world because the rest of the world does not follow Bhagavad Gita. Look for an explanation which takes into account where the world is at today. Don't simply project our movement and its followers into a world that took place 5,000 years ago. Don't forget what the Bhagavad Gita says, nor that we not know our duty. We have to open, be open enough to recognize that today we are not living in a world where all there is is our duty. Classic traditional duties have to be adjusted according to time, place, and circumstance. In today's world, we are all equals. 
In today's world, there is no such thing anymore as to what is your duty as opposed to mine. We are all citizens of the world for better or worse. We have to learn how to adjust without losing the essence, the spirit of the scripture. It has to be adjusted somehow to match up with what's happening. So here, um, Tamal Krishna Goswami, my spiritual master, is saying that we want to adjust what's happening in Bhagavad Gita to what's happening now. And it's not really that big of an adjustment. But in order to be able to adjust it, we have to understand and learn the Bhagavad Gita. We have to study it, and we have to have our own realizations from it. So let's break down the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita has five main topics. It has the topic of the Supreme Lord, or Ishvara. It has the topic of the living entity, the Jiva. Material nature, Prakriti. Eternal time, Kala, and activities, Karma. And it can be divided into three sections. The first six chapters are Karma Yoga. This, the following six chapters, chapters 7 through 12, are Bhakti Yoga. And then chapters 13 to 18 are Jnana Yoga. And these are all instructions on how to understand Krishna and come to Krishna, come to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now we often think that when we're reading something, we're reading it in ascending form, right? Like as we're reading, things are getting higher and higher. But the Bhagavad Gita is laid out in such a special way that the essence, the beauty of the Bhagavad Gita is in the center. It's in Bhakti Yoga, in, this, in this, the middle six chapters. And it's just like, you know, getting to the creamy filling, right? Like many of us, when we eat um, Oreo cookies, we twist open and eat the center, right? And then... We have the two outside pieces still. And they have their own beauty, but many of us like that creamy-filled center. Even when we have, like, jelly-filled donuts, right? We like that center piece, that center sweetness. Well, that's what the Bhagavad Gita is like. The center of the Bhagavad Gita is the sweetness. That's where the essence is really distilled of all of the teachings of the Vedas. It highlights who Krishna is and how we can render devotional service to him. And then purport... Srila Prabhupada stated that um, part of what made King Yudhisthira such a great king is he rendered continuous service to Krishna. So the Bhagavad Gita starts off with Arjuna expressing his dilemma. and He's in this state of depression, um, anxiety over the upcoming battle, and he feels that either, either option available for him spells doom. In Bhagavad Gita 1.28-30, Arjuna says, my dear Krishna, seeing my friends and relatives present before me in such a fighting spirit, I feel the limbs of my body quivering and my mouth drying up. My whole body is trembling. My hair is standing on end. My bow, Gandiva, is slipping from my hand and my skin is burning. I am now unable to stand here any longer. I'm forgetting myself and my mind is reeling. I see only causes of misfortune, or Krishna, killer of the Keshi demon. I think we've all felt this way at some point in our lives, where we may not have the fate of the world, of the human population in our hands, but we have our own life in our hands, and it can seem very life or death, right? Like At any time, it can seem like, oh my God, if I make this decision, my life is over, and if I make this decision, my life is over. And 
we have to see, like, how do we handle these kinds of dilemmas when we think everything is hopeless, that there is no um, good, there's no good that can come from either outcome. I think many of us after the pandemic or during the lockdown, during the pandemic, we felt like that. You know, I'm sure the leaders of, of society have felt like that because on the one hand, they want to protect everyone in the society from um, getting this virus that's very potentially deadly and lethal and highly contagious. And on the other hand, we saw how um, there was such economic destruction in a lot of for a lot of people. A lot of businesses closed. A lot of people couldn't work. Um, a lot of companies couldn't afford to keep their employees because everything had gone down. Spending had gone down. Businesses are closed. So there's this like economic destruction versus human health. And without finances, it's almost like how can we live? You know, we need money to be able to do things in today's society. So it's a major dilemma, right? It's kind of like which way do you go? So Krishna starts answering his questions and dispelling his doubts. And I'll come to a spoiler. So at the end, one of the last verses, Bhagavad Gita, um, 1873, Arjuna says, My dear Krishna, O infallible one, my illusion is now gone. I have regained my memory by your mercy. I am now firm and free from doubt and am prepared to act according to your instructions. That's a completely different mood than the first questions, you know, from the beginning chapter of Bhagavad Gita of Arjuna expressing his dilemma. In the first couple of verses that I read, he had no hope. He felt hopeless. He felt lost. He felt like there is no good in the world. And here you can feel his hope. You can feel him having that optimism again, having that, like, okay, I can move forward. I can go ahead and do what I need to do. So we have to look and see what was discussed in those 18 verses because we all want to feel that way too. Like, okay, I, I feel strong. I can do what I need to do and um, carry forward, you know, and have hope. What helps Arjuna solve this, his dilemma and can it help us? So the Bhagavad Gita is laid out. Chapter 2 is considered a summary of the Bhagavad Gita, and chapter 18 is also considered a summary of the Bhagavad Gita. So if all we had time to read was chapter 2 and chapter 18, we would understand a lot, the whole essence of the Bhagavad Gita in there. However, we want to make sure we read all of it because sometimes just reading a summary isn't enough. We need the examples, we need the extended explanations many times. So the lessons that if we progress through the Bhagavad Gita, the first lesson is that we are not this body. We are spirit souls. And the soul is indestructible and the body is temporary. You know, Krishna says that we move from childhood to adulthood to old age to death, but the soul remains the same. The person who we are remains the same. And in the next birth, you know, that soul remains the same. We just forget because of our external coverings of who we are. So that's the first lesson, and it's the most important lesson, and it's the hardest lesson for us to understand that we're not this body. We can understand it intellectually, but in actuality, in our actions, in our realizations, the idea that we're not this body, um, it... Uh, 
it's not really pervasive throughout, you know, our actions and our thoughts. We often think of, oh, this is happening to me. You know, I'm the one that's feeling hot right now. I'm the one that's feeling cold right now. I'm the one that's being, you know, tortured by someone or, um, and I guess I'm exaggerating, but there are people that are being tortured. Um, not to minimize that suffering. It's just that I was thinking of how sometimes we exaggerate, you know, somebody says something to us and we feel like it's torture. Um, we can feel like, you know, we're the ones that are, our back is hurting, our, our, you know, stomach hurts. We're the ones that have these kind of ailments, right? But it's actually the body that has it and not our, us who we are as the soul. The next lesson that Krishna teaches us is do our duty for the sake of doing our duty, not for the results. Detach from the results. So the idea is we do what we're meant to do, what our dharma is, our duty is. And that's determined by our experiences, our knowledge, our skills and talents, as well as what's going to help elevate us in our progression to Krishna, in Krishna consciousness what's going to deepen our relationship to Krishna. So taking all of those into account determines what our duty is. And we each have our own unique duty. You know, I can't do someone else's duty, even if I can do it better than I can do my own. It's very important that I do my own duty. And then the other part of it is, is being content with doing the duty and not being so attached to the results. Oftentimes we want you know, we have, we're so attached to how the results are. Um, I was talking to someone and we were talking about how, uh, we were inviting people for this educational health seminar talk that we had. And someone was upset that only like a couple of people showed up. And the idea is we did our part. We put together a seminar. We put together the, the information. We advertised it. You know, and then we can learn from what we can do better, but only a couple of people showed up. Well, we can either be lamenting all the people that didn't show up or give the people that showed up the importance that they are, that's needed and understand that the people that were meant to show up showed up and still do our duty, still give them a great presentation as if the whole room was filled. Um, we can also, sometimes when we have parties, you know, we throw a big party and it, things can go wrong one after another and we can be so attached to the results. But if we kind of let things, you know, we plan what we can and we do our duty in trying to give the best party, to have the best festival, but then also detach and let go and let things happen as they may. Like, can't control the weather. If you're having an outdoor party, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Sometimes it gets carried indoors, and it's much better than you would have ever imagined. You know, that last-minute kind of scrambling, and then people have fun because of that, you know. So it's it's always about doing your duty. I've heard it said in one of my business development courses, like, you want to divorce the results and marry the process, right? So it's all about the journey and not the destination, and part of that is the next lesson, is being in control of the mind, of the senses. We want to be steady in times of happiness and distress, hot and cold, summer, winter. It doesn't really matter what's happening externally. 
We want to find that equanimity within us um, and find that internal joy and peace. And that's also including all the people, all the living entities, right? We, as one, as we become more realized, we tend, we can see that each person, each living being, there is no difference. They all have a soul within them and they also have the super soul within them. And that was what made King Yudhisthira such a great king was that he cared not just for the welfare of his human subjects, but all of his subjects, the trees, the animals, the fish, the birds, all of them thrived under his kingdom because he looked at all of them as equal living entities under his reign. So we want to have that kind of idea. There is no friend. There is no foe. Um, everyone is friends, really. We And everyone has Krishna within them and is a devotee of Krishna or is you know, in some way, a devotee of Krishna, even though they may be covered by external material condi- conditioning, we can still understand that everybody is Krishna. Or, I'm sorry, everybody is Krishna's serv- is servant and de- a devotee of Krishna and has Krishna within them. And then finally, he says, surrender to him, surrender to Krishna. By learning from a bona fide spiritual master, spiritual teacher. And the spiritual teacher can guide us on who is Krishna, what is our relationship to Krishna, and how we can serve him continuously. Krishna says to do everything as a service to him, to always remember him and to never forget him. He distills this down into the essence of the Bhagavad Gita, known as the Chatur Shloka, the four verses in the middle, dead center of of uh, Bhagavad Gita. We talked about how in the center, six chapters are the bhakti yoga. That's the creamy-filled essence. Well, the, if you go all the way down into the heart of it, the really beautiful nectar of the Bhagavad Gita, it's the middle four verses, which is chapter 10, verse 8 through 11, And Krishna says, I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are fully devoted to my service, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. To those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. To show them special mercy, I, dwelling in their hearts, destroy with the shining lamp of knowledge the darkness born of ignorance. So that is the essence of the Bhagavad Gita right here. That's who we're serving. When we are working on learning what we're not, we're not this body and we're spirit soul, we tie that spirit soul to Krishna, that we're servants of Krishna. When we're talking about doing our duty. We do that duty as a service to Krishna. And the results are up to Krishna, not up to us. When we're talking about being in control of the mind and senses, it's, again, doing everything for Krishna. If we surrender to Krishna, then it's easier to be in control of our mind, of not letting our emotions or what's happening externally sway us and 
take us on a crazy ride that we can sometimes go on just in our minds. And when we realize that we're servants of Krishna and everyone around us is servants of Krishna, every human being, every living entity, that it's easier to see everyone as friends and as you know, have this equal vision between everyone. It's easier to find that internal joy and peace. So that's why those middle six verse, six chapters are the heart of the Bhagavad Gita because it ties in all of it. It ties in our karma yoga, you know, the activities that we form and in the knowledge in which we perform them. And it ties it into um, surrendering to Krishna, to our relationship to Krishna. So today, in honor of Gita Jayanti, I advise, I recommend to set an intention to read the Bhagavad Gita daily. You know, today, starting at 12.30 p.m., both here in the temple room and online, if you can't make it here, we're going to be reciting the Bhagavad Gita, both the Sanskrit and the English, all the way through. So if you can participate in that today, it's a very nice day to read you can't participate on it and you can't make it online, but, you know, set aside some time for yourself to read. If you can't read the entire Bhagavad Gita, because it ta- does take a few hours, even if you just read the, the verses and the, and the uh, translation and skip the purports, it still would take a couple of hours. So maybe just read chapters 2 and 18 today. But set a goal, set an intention to read the Bhagavad Gita daily. Uh, previously, I've talked about reading, you know, how I read two verses of Bhagavad Gita every single day. So make an intention. You can read one verse a day, two verses, four verses, well, however many fits into your schedule. You know, if you read two verses a day, you read the whole Bhagavad Gita in a little less than a year. And probably it takes a year because sometimes you might forget and skip a day or, you know, things get a little busy and you might you know, here day here and there, you might skip out. But it's still important to make sure that you set that intention. And then not just read the verse, the purport, but understand it. You know, make it your own. Look at how it applies to today's world. Um, for a couple of years, and George knows this, we used to have a discussion group in which we would discuss exactly what those two verses of the day, how it applied in our lives every single day. And when you discuss it with others, right, because Krishna says, converse about me in, in the essence, right, in the middle essence of the Bhagavad Gita, we want to discuss that what we're learning because then we learn in different ways. I can hear a different interpretation of the verse because what's going on in someone else's life is different than what's going on in mine. But I can still learn about how that applied to that situation. The other thing I find when I'm reading over and over again, you read two verses a day, and then you get to the end of the Bhagavad Gita, it's not like, okay, I'm done for the lifetime. I don't have to read it again. Start again. You know, read, start reading two verses a day again. And so the more you read it, different interpretations can come from the same verse because of what's going on in your life. You might grab a different meaning from that purport, from the verse that you're reading. Um, it may hit differently this time around than the last time around. So something else that I do, uh, you know, in addition to we used to discuss it, we haven't anymore. But each time I write, I read a verse, I'm actually writing 
in some ways my own purport that applies to my own life, to that verse and purport. You know, how is it that it's applying to me today? How is it showing up? And it's it's easy to say, oh, this happened 5,000 years ago. I don't have to pay any attention to it. I just read it and then like, you know, whatever, it's read. But when you start to look at how it shows up, how, you know, it's really important to be, um, have that equanimity in whatever's happening in the world, to understand that what we're feeling, it's all in our mind, that we want to control the mind, but the mind is harder to control than the wind. So we want to learn ways in which we can control the wind. And now you see even, um, there's so much more about mindfulness, about meditation, because these are ways of controlling the mind, of becoming more in the present than we are worried about the future or lamenting about the past. So we see it, um, the Bhagavad Gita show up even in pop culture, right? And there's, I think, many theses written about the uh, ties between, like, the well, one, we have the hero's journey here, but many stories that we see are, see are hero's journeys. And um, the ties between, like, Star Wars and the Bhagavad Gita, especially when um, in the original trilogy where Yoda is teaching Luke Skywalker, right? So much of what he's teaching is straight out of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, we also see it in The Legend of Bagger Vance. That's another movie starring Will Smith. And he's teaching, you know, I think it's on the golf course, but he's teaching the golfer. He plays the role of the um, caddy, and he's teaching him the philosophy of life, and so much of it comes from the Bhagavad Gita. So there's so many instances in which the Bhagavad Gita makes its appearance even in modern pop culture. So then it's understandable that this is going to relate to our lives right now. Um, I've often said when I'm learning these personal development and business development courses, it's easily tied into what we learn in especially the first six chapter karma you know, the karma yoga activities um, that it ties into the world now. You know, the, the qualities that we want to have that are described in chapter 10, chapter 12, chapter 13, I think also, and 18, you know, the humility, truthfulness, um, equanimity in times of distress and happiness, friends to all, all these qualities that we discuss that we want to embody, they're written about in the Bhagavad Gita. That's still relevant today. So while the external world may have changed, what's happening inside of us, our internal dilemmas, our internal strife, is still the same. And that's why the Bhagavad Gita is still applicable today. So when we read our Bhagavad Gita and we really embrace it and make it our own, Remember, we want to maintain the essence and the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, but make it relevant to our own, not just parroting what someone else is saying, not just um, you know regurgitating what we're reading, but really understanding it. Like you really digest it and work through it, and you kind of like you know mash it up, and then. What comes out is your realization, your personal realization from those verses. 
And that's important. It's an important part of learning anything, and especially the Bhagavad Gita. So I will end here. Does anyone have any questions or comments? The comment is that they like the idea of writing your own purport, and they're going to try to do that. Excellent. All right. Darantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki. Darantara Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki. So, um, just as a reminder, the Gita Jayanti recital will begin at 12.30 p.m. sharp here in the temple room. And you can also um, attend online, I think, on YouTube and the Facebook group. So, Hare Krishna. <laughs>